Hi, you're listening to the RVC Podcast, a ministry of River Valley Church in Fresno, California. You know, it's been a privilege to be able to come and just share from God's Word with you, I think for now like five years. Um, And I think I've told you guys before too, I've known Gordon for like, I think it's over 20 years now when I first met him and he was on staff with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes and helping disciple several of the uh, Fresno State athletes that we had as part of our college group. And I tell you, the guy is still as buffed as ever. I mean, it's like, it's funny when I walked up to, it was like, he was there and then a few other guys. And I'm like, dude, every guy here is buffed. I feel like I need to go lift some more weights right now. But um, even Luke, I mean, Luke was lifting like 500 pounds on Instagram I saw yesterday or something, but uh, it's crazy. Uh, But you know what? Um, With the physical strength, even more so, there's a spiritual strength. And I've, I've seen that in Gordon just respected him so much as he came back to Fresno, planted this church, and has continued to just faithfully lead and pastor and shepherd. You know, I was recently at a kind of a gathering with some pastors praying, and one of the, just something that one of the pastors felt led to share was he said, you know, in this day and age with a lot of like celebrity pastors and stuff, everybody wants to be a pastor, but nobody wants to be a shepherd. And I can say, you know, just knowing Gordon now for over 20 years, this man is a pastor, but he is a shepherd of God's people. He's a teacher of the Word. He's a leader in this city. So it's a privilege, privilege for me to be here. Thank you for continuing to invite me. Special treat to you. My wife, Chris, was able to come uh, today as well. And uh, she's usually serving in the kids' ministry, but she had a Sunday off, so she's here with me too. So um, I'm going to have a word of prayer, and then we're just going to dig into God's Word a little bit. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you again for uh, your presence here at this church and the way that you have been moving and working through River Valley Church, and I count it a privilege to be here to partner with them in the ministry of your gospel and your word, and would ask now that your Holy Spirit would just speak to our hearts and minds what it is that you want uh, the good people of this church to hear, what it is you're doing to draw people closer to you um, and to your truth, and uh, would you just speak through me for your glory and purposes in Jesus' name, amen. Well, so tomorrow's New Year's Eve, of course, we all know, and the title of the message, uh, if it's printed somewhere on a, on a slide or something, it's called Resolutions. But just to put you at ease, this is not what you might think it would be when you hear something like that at this time of year with a title like that. Um, we all know how the resolution thing usually works for probably 80% of the people. As we get fired up, we make some type of resolution, uh, more often than not, somewhere something around physical health, but maybe other resolutions as well. And then somewhere around mid-February, they sort of like, peter off and and people don't end up living out those resolutions. I'm not here to sort of rail against that and bash against that. Um, On the flip side, I'm also not here to say, here's all the the foolproof ways that you can make sure your resolutions stick. I'm not going to do that either today. I don't think I even could if I wanted to. Um, But what I want to do rather instead today is just kind of put in your minds and in your hearts uh, to be thinking about three very foundational spiritual disciplines that God calls anyone who would call themselves a follower of Jesus, we are consistently and perpetually called to grow in these three areas. There's really not a time where we could say, I've arrived, I don't have any more room to grow. Uh, These are three areas where um, if you are a New Year's resolution making type of person, I would say add these in. Uh, There's still a couple days where you could figure something, you know, specific and doable out. But if you're not, um, I'm not really a resolution-type-making person myself, but just to say, man, as I look at 2019, these are three areas where I want to commit myself as a follower of Jesus, out of love for Him, this God that I just lifted up in worship and uh, in my heart, that I want to grow in these areas for His glory and His purposes. So we're going to be in Colossians chapter 4, looking at verses 2 through 6. 
So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn over there right now. And while you're doing that, just a little bit on the, uh, the context. Colossians was written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, he wrote this letter to uh, believers in a city called Coloss, which is in modern-day Turkey. And it was originally uh, planted by a guy named Epaphras. Paul himself had never actually visited this church physically, but he was uh, writing a letter from prison to these believers to encourage them in their faith. And in fact, uh, the, the theme of the entire uh, letter really is the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ. But verse 2 says this, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So here's uh, kind of the first area of growth. We have an imperative here. Okay, In the Greek verb form, that means it's a command. It's not ever considered to be sort of an optional thing. This is a commandment from the Lord that if we want to follow God, this is something we're called to, to do, and that's to continue steadfastly in prayer. And so prayer would be the first discipline to resolve to grow in in 2019. We need to grow in prayer. Um, I don't think anybody would argue with me that, yes, I, I, I pray all that I need to pray. I, I don't need to pray any more than I currently do. I mean, if, if you're saying that, man, then come up, come up here and tell me how to do that because I know I don't pray enough. Or in the words of that great uh, theologian, M.C. Hammer, we've got to pray just to make it today, right? So, um, you know, Dallas Willard, he, uh, he describes prayer this way in, in uh, one of his books, Spirit of the Disciplines. He says, prayer is conversing or communicating with God. When we pray, we talk to God aloud or within our thoughts. And I like that idea of conversing because it, 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 it gives the idea that it's a conversation. It's not just talking, us talking to God but it's actually us also listening to God. And we know prayer then takes on many forms. We can uh, simply worship God as we pray. Uh, in some ways, what we just did as we sang worship songs to God, that can also be, a, in a sense, a prayer to God as we focus on Him and we just give those words to Him from our heart. Uh, prayer can be just thanking God for the different ways that He's blessed us with the people in our lives or the things that He's provided. It can also be uh, just taking scriptures and, and literally taking those scriptures and praying them in. Some scripture sections are even literally prayers that we can just pray and personalize. Or, or it can be pleading and asking for help. Uh, it can be one word. It can be a long time of talking to God. It can just be mostly listening. It can be writing prayers out in a journal. But, but the idea here is prayer takes on many forms. And what Paul is talking about here um, isn't so much the form of prayer, but it's it's the steadfastness of prayer. In other words, it's not about the, the length of our prayers or do they sound right, but it's do they continue in our lives consistently. In, in other words, is prayer something we turn to sort of as a last resort or once in a while we're praying, sometimes we're praying. But no, his, his idea here is we're steadfast in prayer. It's a continuing practice in our lives. We're devoted to it. In fact, the, the, the root word there essentially means to be strong. So there's a loyalty, there's a sense of not giving up, of constantly being devoted to prayer. And, uh, you know, if, if you're like me, maybe one of the excuses you've used sometimes for not praying a lot, or see the reasons, but they're really excuses, is I don't have enough time to pray. I just, I don't have the time. And that's just not true. We have the time. You know, studies have consistently showed that the average American now is checking their, their social media, like, almost 20 times a day. So we have time to do that, right? And if we, what if we prayed as much as we checked our social media? How would our lives be different? And again, not these long, crazy, but just turning our thoughts to God every waking hour of our lives. If we would just turn our thoughts to God and just pray to Him, how would our lives be different? How would my life be different? Uh, you might remember that Jesus said in the Gospels on the night He was betrayed, keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so being called to be alert in prayer 
One reason is because there's, there's temptations everywhere out there coming at us every day. Uh, the Bible says in 1 Peter 5 that the devil's like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, that he's actually seeking to bring us down, and that battle happens every day for our hearts, uh, and they co- it comes in the form mostly through temptations that would come. And so we pray to be awake or alert against these temptations, to be mindful of them, spiritually aware. And we also want to be alert in prayer because opportunities are coming our way as well. Uh, Maybe on the more positive side, besides battling temptations, do you know in 2019, there are going to be opportunities that God is going to bring to you and to me. There are doors that God is going to open. We don't know what those are yet. And uh, we want discernment. Sometimes those opportunities come in the form of people that he wants to connect you and I with for his purposes. But we want to have discernment. We want to be aware. We don't want to miss those opportunities that God is going to bring. And so we're prayerful. We're asking the Holy Spirit to make us aware to be watchful in prayer. So prayer would then be a a discipline or an area of growth to resolve for 2019. A a second area would be uh, in thanksgiving or gratitude. He says, be watchful in prayer with thanksgiving. Thanking God for who He is, thanking Him for what He's done, because if, if we spend all our time asking God for stuff, it's real easy to get self-centered real quick, right? And also, we're going to get real disappointed, because God isn't always going to give us the things we ask for. A lot of times, the things we ask for, they're not even what's actually best for us. God in His sovereignty knows, so He says no to those things. But we can just spend time being thankful, being filled with gratitude As we do that, there's a powerful work that God does in us. He does to our attitudes, and uh, we'll find ourselves not complaining as much. You know, we we live in a culture that almost sometimes it feels like we glorify complaining. You know, I mean, have you you ever been in a work? I mean, I've been in some workplaces in my life. Not right now, thank God, but in the past, in the way distant past, I've been in workplaces where everybody's just complaining. And it seems like if you try to be positive, people get on you like, why are you being so positive? This place sucks. And it's like, look, (laughs) maybe it does, but let's look at what's good, okay? I mean, the the point is being thankful changes us from the inside out. It actually changes our attitude. It gives us a filter that is more focused on the things that are good, and we are then at a greater capacity to glorify God and to love others and to bring joy into a situation. You know, over a year ago, I was challenged, before you get out of bed, thank God for several things. Before your feet even touch the floor, Set the trajectory of your mind to be thankful. And as I've done that, it has really made a difference in my life. Just getting up, and before I even get out of bed, God, thank you, it's a new day. Thank you that I have redemption in Jesus Christ today. Thank you that I'm forgiven for all those regrets of the past. Thank you that you're with me today. Thank you for my wife who's by my side and my family, and I've got a roof over my head, and I have a bed I get to sleep on And there's food I'm about to eat, and I'm healthy enough where I get to exercise a little bit, and I have a job, and just whatever you can think of, just start thanking God in those first uh, couple of minutes of the day, and it sets our minds on sort of this trajectory that sets us up for, I would say, more success, more uh, favor from God, more power to live in the Holy Spirit's leading and guiding as we start our day with thanksgiving. So I, I also share that challenge with you. Maybe it's something you're already doing, but just to thank God before your feet hit the floor, Think of at least one thing or three things or a dozen things that you can thank him for before you get out of bed. And then in verses 3 through 4, Paul gives some specific ways to pray as it relates to the spreading and the sharing of the gospel. Verse 3, 
At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So he's asking the believers in Colossus to pray that he could share the mystery of Christ or the gospel and to do so clearly. Paul is recognizing God's sovereignty, that God has the power to open doors or to close doors, and he's asking that God would open a door. But we also recognize that Paul isn't just sort of passively sitting back, saying, okay, God, I'm going to sit at home, you know, in front of the TV, and I'm going to pray for you to bring opportunities to my life. I mean, that's not what Paul is doing here. He's the kind of person who's praying for God to open doors, but at the same time, he's knocking on doors until he finds ones that, that's open. You, you see the difference there? There's a proactiveness to what Paul does. He's in prison. Why is he in prison? He's actually in prison for sharing the gospel. But now he's in prison saying, could you give me opportunities to share the gospel? Uh, so he, he sees life as no matter where he's at, no matter what's going on, it's an opportunity. An opportunity specifically, he says, he wants to share Christ. He doesn't see the bad situation he's in as, as an obstacle. In fact, instead of praying for like a prison break, he's praying for a prison revival. He's saying, I want to share Christ now with these Roman soldiers who are keeping me locked up. Um, and so, again, let's remember in our lives that no matter where we're at, no matter what we're doing, God can open doors, and we knock on doors until we find one that's open, and as we ask God, He will open doors for us in whatever that may be. Here it's specifically the gospel. It may be something else in your life where God is leading and guiding you to, to have that mindset and sort of that, that dogged determination to say, God, I'm going to do all that I can do, but then trust God will always do what I cannot do, right? And so that's kind of what Paul is, is saying here when it comes to sharing the gospel. But with that, I would like to say the third discipline then to resolve to grow in for 2019 would be in evangelism or making Christ known. We see all over the Old and New Testaments that God has a heart for humanity. He wants redemption for people that are lost and broken. Of course, the verse that, uh, you know, is the most quoted verse, I think, of the Bible, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Another uh, scripture, 1 Timothy 2, verses 3 and 4, put it this way, this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. The reality is that when God looks around at people, he wants to share his heart with us that they're made in his image, that they're people that Jesus died for, people that Jesus rose from the dead for. And it may be that you are here today and you're sort of just checking Christianity out. Um, I know I would, I believe I speak for Gordon, he would say, man, you're w welcome to be here. So good that you're here. Ask any question that you have. Um, be a guest. And then for maybe uh, most of us here, you've come to faith in Christ at some point in your life. And so I would, I would ask you, do you remember what it was like when you came to faith? Do you remember who was involved? How did God use other people in your life to bring you to faith in Jesus? When I think about my own life, I know that when I was a baby, late 1973, early 1974, my dad was hitchhiking from downtown Fresno, lived in Pinedale at the time, and uh, this dude picked him up, led him to faith in Christ. Now, I don't recommend that form of evangelism for 2019. That was a long time ago. That's a dangerous, uh, don't do it, okay? But... That's, what, that's how he came to faith. And so he led me to faith when I was four, but my faith didn't really become my own until I was 19. I, I was kind of lived this prodigal son kind of lifestyle and then came to faith in Jesus really, truly at 19 years old. And, uh, but along the way, you know, my dad was, of course, inviting me to church those years that I had stopped going. 
But uh, there were some Christians that stood out to me. I worked, I worked at the, uh, the Sizzler restaurant, okay? I was a busboy, and then I was a server. So it used to be at Cedar and Herndon. It's, uh, now it's Tahoe Joe's. But uh, there was this one, there was all this debauchery. I mean, this place was like a cesspool of just, just immorality, right? And I just got swept right up in it. But there was this one lady there who, who just, she lived for Jesus, man. Everybody knew, everybody respected her. She was the most kind, most patient person I'd ever seen in my life. And it was just like, man, she, she does this because she loves God. And everybody knew that. And everybody respected her for it. Um, I remember a couple of people in my high school, maybe two or three, that really lived out their faith. And they, they stood out to me. It's like, they live differently than all of us. Their faith is real. There's something special about those people. And then, believe it or not, it was actually a non-Christian friend who invited me to church. We'd gone to a wedding of one of those classmates. And he said, hey, I really like that church. Do you want to go there? And I'm like, sure. It was the church I grew up in. It was Fresno EV Free. I'm like, sure, let's go, right? So, so through that, God used all those different people. And then when I came back to church, I found out people had been praying for me as well. And they said, hey, you're Davidson. I've been praying for you. This is an answer to prayer. My point is this, is that God uses people to bring other people to faith in Jesus. That's, that's God's plan. Now, I know sometimes you hear about the Muslims having a dream or a vision where they come to faith in Jesus that way, but they still got to get connected to people because they got to find fellowship in a church somewhere, right? We recently had a guy at our church who's from a Sikh background who researched Jesus on the internet, and, but now he's in the church. He's, he's come to faith in Christ. He's gotten baptized. He's getting discipled. People. God uses people to reach people. That's his plan. That's his plan A to reach the world with the gospel, and there isn't really a plan B. He wants to use you, and he wants to use me to reach people for the gospel. And so, so it starts with prayer. Paul asks for prayer here, but it doesn't end with prayer. Verses 5 through 6, Paul gets actually pretty practical about how this can work in our lives. He says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So Paul challenges the church in Coloss, and by extension, all of us who follow Christ, to, uh, to pray for the spread of the gospel, but then also to live for the spread of the gospel. And this is another uh, one of those imperatives, this idea of conducting ourselves with wisdom toward outsiders. Now, that word outsiders might seem a little bit like, oh, that's kind of a weird phrase to use, right? I mean, if if you grew up in the 80s like me, you might remember the movie with the Karate Kid and Tom Cruise and all that, and like, okay, the outsiders, right? But but the, usually that's kind of like a negative term, like, oh, so the outsiders are people that are like sort of outcasts, right? That's not really the idea Paul is trying to convey here. He's saying these are people who are simply outside of the faith. Um, they don't yet know Jesus Christ, but he's not trying to put any sort of shade on them or, or look down on them. In fact, far from saying that's bad, he's saying anytime you come in contact with somebody that doesn't know Jesus, that's an opportunity. That's a blessing. So it's a good thing um, not to be avoided but to move then from prayer to living, a personal prayer that asks for God to open the doors, but then a public sort of life that is fleshed out through our conduct and through our conversation. So Paul then says, as you pray for these open doors, now live in such a way, talk in such a way that validates who Jesus is. You might say that our conduct then authenticates uh, the gospel or evangelism, um, doesn't mean we're perfect, okay? We, we are going, I mean, we stumble and fall. I mean, we, we all drive in the same city, right? We know what it's like to drive here and get stressed out. Um, we have things that cause us to be impatient. Uh, people we work with probably that get under our skin or whatever. But, 
We're not going to be perfect, but it also means we, we sort of have this vision and goal in mind that I'm also not just going to live like however I want, you know, me first, talk however I want. I, I want to recognize that everywhere I go, I have a king that I represent. His name's Jesus. Everywhere I go, I have a, a family name, if you will, to, to live up to. And, and so, so we want to authenticate Christ through, in a sense, striving to live for his glory. Living with wisdom, Paul says. Wisdom um, flows out of who we are. We can't fake it for very long. We can fake anything for a short time, but we can't fake it for the lifetime. And so we're not talking here about behavior modification techniques. I'm, those can be helpful. Okay? I'm not, not dishing, uh, you know, dissing on those, but, but we're actually here talking about a transformation of the heart, a spiritual transformation, a gospel transformation that changes us uh, from who we are on the inside that would then flow out into our lives. And if you actually look at Colossians 4 in context, you go back to chapter 3, verses 15 through 17, he talks about letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly, letting the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And then he goes into the relationships of marriage and family and workplace relationships and how as we let Christ's word dwell in us and the peace of Christ. And then, of course, over in Ephesians, he says, be filled with the Spirit. As, as we allow the word of God and the Spirit of God and the peace of God to, to fill who we are on the inside, it then flows into our most important relationships in this life and then also would impact those who would be outside of the faith who might also be in our lives. And so this is why we pray, and this is why we give thanksgiving, so that we can become more like Christ. Uh, R. Kent Hughes puts it this way. Uh, he says, the more we expose our lives to the white-hot sun of Christ's righteous life, in terms of spending time with God for, say, 5, 10, 15, 30 minutes or an hour a day, the more his image will be burned into our character, his love, his compassion, his truth, his integrity, and his humility. And so we want the power of Christ to form the image of Christ in us and then through us. And so conversations Paul talks about here. He says, with grace, meaning as we live under the grace of God, we recognize that we are given God's favor, not because of what we've done, but because of who Christ is and his love for us. It can lead to our lives and our conversations and our conduct sort of being um, what you might call like, like pleasant or attractive or charming or winsome even but it flows out of grace. So this is not manipulation. This is actually just who God is making us to be. We need to have uh, convictions. We don't want to compromise, but we also need to live in such a way that would sort of be gracious and with a spirit of love towards others. Uh, seasoned with salt would be this idea. As salt was used not just to enhance flavor, but also to preserve food, that as we enter into conversations, we're not looking to pick fights with people, you know. Uh, sometimes the best way to do that is get political, like first sentence, right? Just all of a sudden it's a fight, right? But um, we're, we're trying to actually find common ground with people who are outside of the faith. We're, we're trying to connect. We're trying to focus on what is good. As much as we can, let's focus on what is good. Uh, at some point there may be confrontation, but, but let's not look to be self-righteous or preachy or to start a fight, um, to create divisions. So conversations full of grace, seasoned with salt, and then he says, you know, unique for each person. How can we re respond to each person? Here's a few practical thoughts on how we can sort of live into that. Uh, number one would be to act on promptings that seem to come from the Holy Spirit. So uh, you, you probably know what I mean if you've been walking with God for a while. You get these, these promptings in your life that it seems like uh, they come from God. So you're in a conversation, for example. You're talking to a colleague or a friend or maybe someone you don't even know that well. And a thought comes to mind like, hey, ask this person uh, if they've ever been to church. Or ask this person what they think about spiritual stuff. 
Or, hey, when you answer the question they just asked you, uh, let them know that you, you and your family also prayed about it or that you sense God helped you. And uh, we might not even realize these are thoughts from the Holy Spirit. We're thinking, these aren't promptings or impressions. This is just me. And then we quickly come up with reasons or excuses why we don't want to do that. It's like, no, the timing's not right, and I'm going to stay away from anything spiritual or anything that talks about church or God, and, and it's just not perfect circumstances. I mean, if the person was falling on their knees begging me to know Jesus, then maybe. But that's just not happening right now, so I'm just not going to do it, right? And so we, we kind of let those opportunities pass. But let's act on those promptings. It might even be just to say hello to somebody, right? Talk to somebody and then just let God take it from there. I remember uh, as a college student at Fresno City, I was, and that was, you know, 10 years ago. No, it was yeah, a lot longer than that. 25 years ago, I'm sitting in this form hall classroom. Of course, this was a little easier back then because people didn't have their phones. They just sat there like looking into oblivion, not looking in their phone. But I felt like God was saying, hey, you're sitting here waiting for this class to start. Two seats over, there's a dude sitting there looking pretty bored, just like you. Say hi to him. Well, that's kind of weird. I don't even know the guy. Like, all right. So I reach over. I'm like, hey, how you doing? I'm Josh. He says, my name's Kevin. We started talking. To kind of fast forward the story. We became friends. He ended up coming to church with me. Our teacher in that class, um, we found out, was a Christian. His name was uh, Don Larson. And one day we were in his office, and he led my friend Kevin to faith in Christ that semester. And 10 years later, I got to baptize Kevin, and now he's living on the East Coast. He changed careers to be a medical doctor, but he's still following Jesus. And I think, man, that little prompting, what if I had just ignored it and said, I ain't going to talk to that dude. I, I got my own thing going on right now. Um, I would have missed all of that opportunity. Man. And so it's just like, let's, let's listen to those, those promptings. Let's be open. Because God will give these opportunities. So look for ways. The second thing would be look for ways to connect with people and embrace some awkwardness. Kind of flows out of the first thought. But here's the thing. Sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers the way we want. But one prayer that God will answer for you and I is if we say, God, like Paul, I ask for you to open a door for me to share the mystery of Christ. I ask for you to open a door for me to share the gospel with somebody. That is a prayer that God is always going to answer yes to, trust me. may not be even the person we're praying for, but he's going to open the door somewhere because God wants to use us to share the mystery of Christ, uh, both with our conduct but then also in our conversation. So think about where God has strategically placed you. As you look at 2019, do you realize that everywhere you have been placed is not an accident? It's not a coincidence. We believe in a sovereign God. We believe that he has strategically and purposefully placed you where you're at. So whether that's a workplace or a classroom or a team of some type, uh, where you live, maybe it's where your kids or your grandkids sort of do life. That might be the best place to meet people that, that uh, don't yet know Christ. We're going to meet a lot of people that do know Christ in those situations, you know, sports and school and gymnastics and karate and all that stuff, but we're also going to meet a lot of people that don't. And will it sometimes be awkward to try to get to know those people? Yes. Will we hear things that we don't always want to hear when we converse with them? Yes. But no matter how much we pursue Christ, if we're not actually in contact with people that don't know Christ, we can't make Him known to them because, you know, I've heard it said Christianity is a contact sport, right? We have to actually be in contact with people to help people see and know that God loves them and wants uh, to have a relationship with them and wants to bring redemption into their lives. And you know, if you listen to some of the, uh, just some of the circles, I'm not going to name anyone specific, but just some of those circles of Christian influencers, they would almost suggest to you and I that the whole world hates you because you're a Christian. 
and uh, you should just not even talk to them and just move to Idaho or something. And it's like, look, that's just not true. I mean, <laughs> the, the reality is, I, I mean, I'm a pastor. Like, that's like, you know, in the church, it's great to be a pastor. But outside of the church, when you're like at a sporting event, like, you know, I was talking to his dad and he was dropping like an F-bomb every other word. And then he looks at me and he goes, so what do you do for a living? It's like, it's like saying you're a pastor is like the worst thing. It's like now I'm instantly this guy's, and you know, sure enough, he's like, oh man, y'all, I teach my kids not to talk like me and stuff. And I'm like, dude, you don't have to do that, all right? It's like, it's fine. I mean, I've heard the word before, okay? But, but the point is, it's like, it's like the truth is people are not hostile. I have not, I have yet to tell somebody I'm a Christian or even a pastor, and have them like want to beat me up. Now, I'm not saying that won't happen someday in our country. It might. But right now, that is definitely not the reality. In fact, most people are pretty curious or spiritually hungry deep down. And if we get to know them, we might actually find that they're willing to share some of that with us. And I have, I have found that to be true as, as well. And sometimes I just need even a nudge from other Christians to realize, be a little bolder, Josh. Sprinkle a little salt into that conversation. You know, I, was, I was at a track meet uh, a while back. I was talking to a dad that I'd known for a while, and I'd never really talked with him about God. I just, we talked about our kids and sports, and that was about it. Then we saw a mutual friend from church, or a friend that I knew from church. I introduced him, um, and then he shared with us he just got a new job. And my friend uh, looks at him, and she goes, oh, our God's an awesome God. And I was like, oh, my gosh, what's he going to do? And then he looks at her and goes, you know what? I've been thinking that same thing. And I'm like, wow, she just sprinkled a little salt even a cheesy kind of Christian one-liner, but it actually worked. You know why? Because she loved God and she just let that sort of flow out of her. And, and the thing is, is, we don't have to like bombard people with spiritual solutions. We don't douse things with salt. You ever douse something with salt? You know, it tastes nasty, too much salt. Just a little bit of salt here and there to see where people are at. Are they responding? If they're not, we don't have to try to force the issue, right? We know how it is when you try to force things on people. We've been there, right? When someone's forcing an agenda on us, we try to get out of the conversation as quick as we can and then avoid them like the plague if we see them again. Let's not be that way with the gospel, but let's be gracious and seasoned with salt. And then I would also suggest asking some questions. To know how to respond to each person implies that we're listening. So just asking questions like, have you ever been to church? Do you have any kind of spiritual background? You know, do you have any thoughts on spiritual issues? Who was Jesus in your opinion? Do you ever wonder what happens to us when we die? What do you think a real Christian is? And even just asking, would you like to come to church with me on Sunday? Studies have consistently shown that about 50% of people that don't attend church said that they would go if somebody would just invite them. And so maybe the opportunity is there for you and I. But you know, as we think about going back to Paul's original challenge about being devoted to prayer with thanksgiving, of course, the thing we can be the most thankful for in our lives is the transforming power of the gospel, the work of Jesus Christ. Timothy Keller says that the gospel is this, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believed, yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. The reality that Jesus went and died a bloody death on the cross for you and for me, that he was buried and then resurrected to show that he has power over sin and Satan and death and came for the purpose of offering redemption that all the regrets of the past can be forgiven. All the agonizing present struggles we have with temptation, the future failures that we even have, that we are going to stumble and fail even in the future and sin, all forgiven completely, thrown to the depths of the ocean floor, God would say, I'm not visiting that anymore. Why are you? 
to know that we have that redemption and that we're actually clothed with the righteousness of Christ, that we're declared righteous because of what Jesus has done is an incredible thing to be thankful for and to be grateful for and to live for and to realize Jesus then says, I've got a heart. I came to seek and to save the lost. He's actively doing it in our world. and He's calling us to join him in that is an incredible privilege as well.